0: Our message today on chapter 5 of Mark's Gospel is called Turn the Flashlight On. The image for each of these chapters is something that I came to as I read through these. Pastor David and I took some special time just to read through each chapter and come up with an image that just stood out to us as we read through each of these chapters. And on this one, it really hit me that Satan destroys life but Jesus shines life to bring and restore life. Amen? Amen? Satan's purpose is to keep people in darkness and to keep people isolated. Jesus comes in with a light, and I wouldn't only say a light, I'd say a flashlight. And there's a reason I say a flashlight, and we're going to talk about that in the message, because a lot of times a flashlight takes us to those scary places where things are dark and we have to turn the flashlight on. And so I'm suggesting that what Jesus does is he shines his flashlight and teaches us how to do the same. Now we're going to look at all three stories and we're going to mix them in together. So I hope we can follow all of this. But I want to recap the three stories. First, in Mark chapter 5, Jesus encounters a demon-possessed man who's been banished to living in a cemetery. Talk about a life of isolation. Then he heals a woman in a crowd who spent all of her resources trying to get better from a condition where she was constantly bleeding. And finally, Jesus goes to the home of a synagogue leader. His name is Jairus, and his daughter lay sick and dying. And in all three of these stories, what we discover is Jesus shines a light. In each case, there's a tension between the public and the private. And I want us to think about that. So much of our life, especially as Americans, we keep private to ourselves even things that we need help with and we need to bring them out to light. The demon-possessed man was segregated to living a very private life. Whenever he made a public appearance, it made others uncomfortable. More than uncomfortable, they shackled him. They bound him, his hands and his feet Talk about a guy who just didn't want to go see anyone, and you can just imagine him going out at night trying to get out of the cemetery, but any other time, people just didn't want to be around him. The woman who was bleeding couldn't tell anybody what was going on because her condition made her unclean. Therefore, if anyone knew what was happening, she was told that she had to be away from people. So there was a secret that she was carrying with her that she wouldn't have been comfortable talking to others about. Finally, we're told about this family that's losing a child, and there's nothing more private than terminal illness and end of life. I know that as a pastor, because I get called in a lot of times during that time, and it'll be me and the immediate family, sometimes husband with a wife, wife with a husband, few children. It's a very private time in people's lives, Also, illness does that. It separates us. Think of what we went through during COVID. Families that literally had loved ones who died in a nursing home, totally all by themselves, alone. And so in each of these cases, there's this tension between that which is super private and that which is public. Jesus said in John chapter 10, the thief comes to steal and to kill hear that the thief comes to steal and to kill including taking our life away from us taking our ability to relate to people away from us but i came that you might have life and have it abundantly what a contrast and that's what we hear in mark chapter 5 the difference between that which is private and separate and sometimes shameful and awful versus jesus desire to bring things out to the light of the day that's why I think of him shining his flashlight. Now, years ago, David was just a little kid. I, he was like less than a year old. And Regina and I and David were now living still in Lowell. And we had friends, the Ott's, who owned a cabin up in New Hampshire. And they used to invite us to go up and visit them. And, and they would let us stay at their cabin for a week. It was awesome. It was on a little stream. And it was in Gorham, New Hampshire. There was a lake that we used to go to. And one day on that stream, they had a nice little canoe. And I would take a little kayak. You've seen them. You know, it's kind of made for one person. Sometimes I would take David in it, and we'd go up and down the stream. Well, this particular day, I was going down the stream, and I came back, and Regina came to meet me at the edge of the water. And all of a sudden, she started screaming and screeching because something made her uncomfortable. There was a little snake in the grass. So I laughed at her and kind of made fun of her. Oh, you're afraid of a little snake? Like, come on, what's going on? And she goes, no, there's a snake. I said, honey, it's okay. And we pulled the kayak over to the side, and I don't know how it did it, but the the snake now went into the kayak where I was, and I started yelling and screaming, at which point she said to me, oh, what's the big deal? It's just a little snake. And I said, you don't understand. It's now in my kayak. I got out of the kayak, got a flashlight, and you can imagine, I didn't really want to use that flashlight because now I'm looking for something that made me uncomfortable. That's what flashlights do. And that's what Jesus is doing in Mark chapter 5. He's shining his flashlight on that stuff that a lot of times we're not comfortable looking at but here's the thing Jesus shines light where we hide in darkness that's a whole point we hide out we create these barriers we create these things in our life others do the same thing where they're separate and they don't want to be seen and they're private and they're uncomfortable even as we do our prayer time that's one of the things we're trying to do is bring stuff to the light of day so people understand that one another have stuff that we need to pray for that are on our hearts Because that's what Jesus does in our life. He gets us to move beyond not just private, but more the stuff we hide, the stuff we don't want others to see. And this is where we start seeing the stories. First, this man living in the cemetery. In verse 3, we're told the man lived in burial caves. Do you think he made people uncomfortable? Think this wild, crazy guy cutting himself with stones? running all over the place and bound with shackles, was relegated to a life of privacy? More than that. Think of how we stop at a stoplight, and there's that person again holding the sign, and we're uncomfortable because we don't want to look. And so what do we do? We stop and we look forward. Hope they didn't see me. Hope I didn't look over. Because that's what we do, just like in Jesus' day. We make this stuff that's uncomfortable and hard to talk about. Jesus says, don't only look at the person. Yes, look at the person, but folks also look at what's wrong. Hear me? As Christians, we should be part of the solution of this world. Why do we have homeless people living in our society? Why are there systemic social issues that need to be addressed? And that's part of what Jesus is helping us see here. To quit looking away and start to see. Or the woman in the crowd, verses 25 through 27. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she would gotten no better. In fact, she would only gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. Have you ever been alone in a crowd? Can be some of the loneliest places. That's how this woman lived her life. Yeah, she would go and she'd be go to big crowds and festivals or whatever, but she couldn't talk to anybody and she didn't feel comfortable. That's an awkward situation, an awkward place to be. Jesus doesn't want us to feel like we're alone everywhere we go. Jesus, remember, came to give us life. Give us a relationship. Give us health. Give us the opportunity to be in fellowship with one another. This last week, I was in Gatlinburg, and I was there. I met my brother. He and I had had this arranged quite a while ago where we went to a conference. It was a Southern Gospel music conference, and we got to hear a whole bunch of different Southern Gospel groups, more than I had ever known that existed. And they played every, like, 20 minutes, one after another, after another, after another. And we had a great time. And finally on Wednesday, I knew that I had a wedding this weekend and some upcoming funerals were going on, and I just needed time to sit down and write my sermon. So there was a big thing in the afternoon, and I knew everybody was going to be inside. And so I said to my brother and my sister-in-law, how about if I just sit out here and I write my sermon, get started on it? And I did. And I found this nice guy who let me sit at a table where... During the time when everybody was out, they would all come and meet the artist. But now there's a nice table sitting there. And it was about three hours. I had just nice and private, quiet time. And I was sitting there working on my sermon, and a woman came walking down. She had a little badge on, and it said she was a volunteer. And of course, I'm an extrovert. I might need my alone time, but you're going to walk down by me. I'm going to say something to her. And I said, hi, you're a volunteer. She said, yes. I said, so, do you volunteer all the time? Yeah, I come every year. I love doing this. It's great. I love the Southern Gospel groups. I've gotten to know some of them. She goes, the three Heath brothers, the one just got married. I met his wife. It's awesome. I said, wow, that's terrific. I said, you must be active in a church. She said, no, I think I'm the only volunteer here who doesn't go to church. I said, really? She said, yeah, I don't go to church. I said, why don't you go to church? She said, well, I used to go to church. I said, well, why don't you go to church anymore? She said, well, I lived somewhere else, and I moved down here to Gatlinburg, and they have these nice churches, big churches. And every time I went to a church, they would have a worship. I didn't know anybody. I'd, greeters would meet me, and then I'd come in. I'd sit down. I'd sit by myself, and they'd say, it's time for fellowship time. So I'd walk back to fellowship time, and everybody seemed to know each other. I didn't have anybody to talk to. She said I was alone in a crowd. Then I'd try another church, and she said the same thing happened. Same thing happened time after time, and she said, I finally gave up, and I just don't go to church anymore. That is not how Jesus teaches us to live, folks. That is not the Christian gospel. Jesus asks us to notice one another, to not be alone in crowds, to notice a new person who walks in in every situation. Absolutely, we have our relationships and people we love to see, but are we able to be like Jesus and start noticing the woman alone in the crowd? Or how about the child who is sick and dying? If Jesus shines light where we hide in darkness, look what we see here in verses 38 and 39. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. That's outside. But what does Jesus do? What's the next line? He went inside. He went into where the family was. He went into where the pain was, to where the hurt was. Again, remember, Jesus shines his light where we hide in darkness. Severe illness and death bring about isolation. And so Jesus entered the home. Now, I was thinking about this message, and I got to this part of this message, and I realized that for some reason in my life, God had prepared me for being a pastor in one way when I was growing up, because I dealt with so many loved ones Who were my age, friends, who either died or had prominent deaths when I was a child. I was a little kid, about five years old, and the Presbyterian pastor's daughter was my age, and she died. I had to deal with that, the emotions of that, a friend who passed away when I was a little kid. I was in middle school, and a friend of mine in class died. And I started to see the pain of going through what it is to lose someone. Not just parents and grandparents out there, but something very personal. In fact, by the time I went to college, I was 18 years old. An 18-year-old friend of mine came down with cancer and died. And I've always been aware of the fact that God has allowed me to see what people go through. But one of the most formative times was when I was a freshman in high school, and one of my best friends, he and I played basketball together. His mother passed away, and she wasn't a very old woman, and it was a very tragic situation. And it happened right before Christmas, and now in North Dakota, I, we played on the basketball team. School was out, but we had something called the Christmas tournament. So the basketball team would get together and would practice when school wasn't in session, and then over the holidays, we'd have a basketball tournament. And I noticed that my friend was not at the practices. So one day I called him up on the phone and asked where he was. And he said, nobody told me about the practices. And so he came. And the next day we were practicing. And our gym was set up like this, a nice long gym where you played. And then they had side courts that went this way. A lot of gyms are set up that way. The main court goes this way. And you have two side gyms that kind of go this way. So there's four baskets and then the two main ones. And he and I were over in the corner just shooting baskets together. And I said, nobody told you about practice? He said, nobody's talked to me at all. He said, my mom died, but I feel like nobody wants to talk to me. He said, weird. And it hit me at that time that that's what we do. We get uncomfortable with things and we isolate people. The same thing happens when somebody loses somebody in their life. Their life... Yes goes on, but not like everybody else's does. Everybody else's life goes on. That person still needs to be talked to and cared about and have opportunities to talk about the person that they've lost. You see what happens in Jesus' story here? Everybody leaves them alone, but not Jesus. Not Jesus. Jesus shines light where we hide in darkness, and he goes in and he starts the conversation. Because here's what happens. Where Jesus' light shines, healing begins. Do you hear that? Once you bring things to the light of day, there's an opportunity for healing. We don't heal in utter darkness, in isolation. Amen? I'm going to say that again. We do not heal in darkness, in isolation. Amen? Amen. And that's why Jesus lives differently. What about the man living in the cave? Verses 7 and 8. With a shriek, he screamed upon seeing Jesus. Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Jesus had already made it clear that healing was going to take place. The demons knew that Jesus had started the healing process. The guy's not healed but the demons are aware that eh, jesus doesn't want to keep this guy sick and living in the caves. Jesus doesn't want to keep this man cutting himself and shackled and bound and away from everyone. What's it mean for us? If you struggle, reach out. Do you hear me? If you struggle, reach out. Make the phone call, talk to somebody. Call your pastor. Ask for prayer. Come up for prayer time. If you know someone who struggles, simple, be their friend. Be their friend. Somebody's going through a tough time just say I care about you. Let's get together. Let's talk. That's all Jesus is doing at this point. He's looking at where people are living in darkness, and he's saying healing can't take place, and life can't get better, until we start acknowledging some of the stuff that's going on here. How about the woman in the crowd? Verse 28, If I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. If I can just come up behind him and just get a little bit of Jesus, I hear he's different. He's not like all the other men that I've encountered in my life. You see, Jesus knew that he wasn't going to take money from her. She'd given up everything that she had. She had privately gone to some people. They're called charlatans, the ones that she went to. They promised her something and they couldn't deliver. But boy, they took the money from her, and they're willing to accept more. You see, faith is not a gimmick that we're selling, amen? Amen. I'm going to say it again. Faith is not a gimmick that we're selling, amen? amen? This is not about some trick or some way, put $50 in the offering plate today, and guess what? Everything in your life gets better. That's not what Jesus teaches. He teaches the opposite, which gets me to prayer hankies. My grandmother, God bless her, had a stroke when she was in her 30s. And she wasn't able to work, and her husband died of Lou Gehrig's disease. So she'd had a pretty tough life. And she was a very fervent Christian, and she loved to listen to Christian ministries on the radio and on television. And she must have, with some of the ministries, she sent money to different ones, but she must have also sent letters telling people what was going on in her life. Because one day, my grandmother received a personal letter in the mail. Most likely, she had told this ministry about her stroke that had happened 30 years earlier. My dad used to tell me about the letter. He didn't keep it, but he always could tell me what it said. Dear Marguerite, we're asking you to make a pledge to our ministry and send us your first $10. Then please send the same amount of money to us each month. We will send you our prayer hanky. It has been prayed over for you personally, and you will be healed. An offer too good to be true, especially since my grandmother had died six months earlier. And my father sent them a letter back and said, thank you very much. I don't know the forwarding address, but maybe if you pray to Jesus, he'll pass the letter on for you. That's not what Jesus does. He's not a charlatan. He's not asking for us to somehow believe that if we give more money here or do something there, Jesus wants healing. And I'm telling you folks, Jesus heals. And I've seen Jesus heal. And I had a young woman in our first in my church where I was a student pastor who'd been in an accident, and the doctor said she would never walk, and she walked. And my father was the one who went in and prayed for her and gave her and the family the assurance this young person's gonna walk again. And I was a little uncomfortable with that. And my father said, I know there's healing taking place. And I've had people who've had cancer go in remission, and doctors say they don't get it. I know that Jesus heals, and I know Jesus heals through medical work also. But here's the thing. He shines light and he doesn't try to trick us. Like the woman in the crowd, none of us needs another scheme and neither does anyone else. And that's not what the stories are about. The stories are about understanding how Jesus is different than the crazy stuff of this world. Or what about the child sick and dying at home? Why all the commotion, Jesus asked, and why the weeping, verse 39? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. Was a girl only in a coma? Some say yes, because that's actually what Jesus says. We always call this Jesus raising the child who's dead. The only person who kind of disagrees with that seems to be Jesus, Jesus. Because he says she's just asleep. Now, is he just saying that she can be raised? Jesus can do anything. He's Jesus. But it's also possible that he's able to see something that nobody else is aware of. It's clear that he was in the most vulnerable place with his family. Isolation and commotion outside, shutting out all the light on the inside. And a little girl in a darkened room. A little girl lying in a bed. And a family suffering in pain and anguish. And a dad who did go to Jesus and say, please shine some light here. We know you can do something different. Where do you need Jesus' light to shine so healing can start? That's really what the text is asking us. Where does Jesus need to shine his light into our life so that we don't feel like we have to hide out and be separate and and God can't touch our lives? Or maybe we know someone else who's suffering and having a hard time. Maybe we need to shine some light and just make a phone call and say, I care, and I'll pray with you, and things can get better. Because Jesus brings life where Satan destroys in darkness. And that's where it all comes down to, folks. Jesus brings life. Jesus wants us healed. Jesus wants us healthy. Jesus is not in the sickness business. Jesus is in the healing business. If we don't believe in the power of God to overcome the problems of this world, what are we doing here in church on Sunday morning? Because we know that our God can do amazing things beyond anything we have ever seen in our life anywhere else. So as Jairus' daughter, the crowd laughed at Jesus what kind of a fool do you think you are, Jesus? Come on. Leave this family alone. But he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying, holding her hand. He said to her, Talith kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. And of course, Jesus, if you noticed, went a step further. He said, get the kid something to eat. She's hungry because yeah. he cared about her. You see, Jesus wants to bring life. The crowd laughed at Jesus. They did Satan's work. What are you doing? Don't give people a false hope. I've given up on that person. Why don't you, they basically said. Remember, Satan keeps people in darkness, and sometimes people who think they're well-intended, they keep people in darkness too. You really believe that that person can get better? They've messed up so many times. You're giving them one more chance. What right do you have to give them another chance? You know what right I have to give people another chance? The same right we all do. We believe in Jesus who always is in the restoration business and it doesn't matter how many times people mess up. Jesus always is there providing a path forward. Amen? Amen. We don't give up on people because Jesus didn't give up on people. We don't believe that it's too late. Remember, Satan loves isolation. He likes snakes in the bottom of canoes. (laughs) So you can fight with your wife over who got more scared and who was justified, her on the beach or me in the kayak. With a woman who was bleeding, immediately, we're told, verse 29, the bleeding stopped. And she could feel her body, that she'd been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that the healing power had gone out of him. So he turned around in the crowd and he said, Who touched my robe? His disciples looked at him. They must have thought he was nuts. (laughs) Look at the crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman... Again, notice she's scared. Spent her whole life hiding from people. And now, oh my goodness, I touched Jesus, and now I've been called out? She came trembling, realizing what had happened to her. She fell on her knees in front of Jesus and told him what she'd done. And with love and compassion, with kindness that only Jesus has, he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering's over. You don't need to keep suffering. I'm here to bring healing. I'm here to bring health. Did you see what happened? Finally, someone noticed her. That in and of itself was a miracle. Just to be noticed, this woman had gone through her whole life being used by people, but certainly not noticed by people. But Jesus noticing her, although it would have brought relief, he didn't stop there. Because Jesus doesn't stop at partial healing Jesus healed the woman because that's what Jesus does. It's about giving health and wholeness to our life. It's about living lives of integrity where we can look ourselves in the mirror and feel good that our insides can finally match the outsides for spiritual healing. It's physical healing, knowing that God wants us to live good lives. It's not charlatans who grab more money. It's Jesus who says, by whatever means, health and healing needs to take place in people's lives. If it means we need to see a counselor, we see a counselor. If we need to go to a 12-step group. We go to a 12-step group. If we need people to pray for us, they pray for us. If we need medical care and we're afraid to go to the doctor because you know what? Oh, I'm afraid I haven't been there for five years and what if they find something out? Then we go. Or the person who comes to the pastor and says, I got a prognosis and I feel horrible. I don't like my new prognosis. To which I say, how did you feel before the diagnosis? Oh, I was fine. Well, you weren't fine. You had the same condition that you have now. Now there's light on it, so healing can take place. You see who Jesus is? He wants to bring life to us. Spiritual life and eternal life, absolutely. But he didn't say, I came to this world to give you eternal life only. I gave you life and life abundantly, folks. And that's what it means to be a Christian to learn that God wants us to get out of the shadows and help others to get out of the shadows. Which brings us back to the man in the cemetery. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. Entire herd, 2,000 pigs. Who has such a big pig farm? I come from North Dakota, where we have pig farms, but not that big of a pig farm. And the pigs plunged down a steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Crowds soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. He then says, Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus says, no, you go back to your family. Show them that your life's better. And hear this, folks. Jesus is Jewish. This guy's a Gentile. He's the first missionary to the Gentiles. Isn't that like Jesus? Take a guy who's been cutting himself and crazy. And Jesus goes, hey, there's my first apostle. There's my first person who's going to go into this world and tell people what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He didn't take somebody who was a synagogue leader, he didn't take somebody who was a king or a prince. He took a guy who was the most messed up human being that you could find, and he goes, That guy is the perfect person to tell my story. Amen? That's who Jesus is. But people always ask, What about the pigs? Evil does collateral damage. You hear me? Evil does collateral damage. Satan comes to destroy. Jesus comes to give life. Jesus didn't destroy the pigs. Satan destroyed the pigs. I'm a runner. I run down the road. That's why I have to run. Do you know what I notice when I run? How many nips and bottles are on the side of the road? Do you know what I think about? Jesus... Don't let a drunk driver have a really bad day and kill me or injure me. Because I know that that can happen. I can be a follower of Christ and do the right things, but there is collateral damage from wrong behavior. Amen? It happens all over the place. And that's what we see with pigs. Those pigs represent the purpose of Satan. We now know what Satan wanted to do to that guy. He wanted him dead. If they killed 2,000 pigs, you can guarantee that they were trying to take that guy down. He thought they were just trying to keep him in the cemetery. No, they weren't. They were trying to make him dead. Because that's what evil does in this world. But Jesus brings life. That's who he is. That's who our Savior is. You see somebody struggling? God wants the best for them. Do you see somebody who's in pain and hurting? God wants the best for them. Are you in pain and suffering and hurting? God wants the best for you. Because Jesus shines light and it brings life, but we need to be willing to change. Do we hear that? We have to be willing to change. We have to allow the light in. We have to realize that Jesus is shining his flashlight, and that means something different for each one of us. Maybe it means that we need to be honest with somebody about what we're really thinking and feeling and have the conversation. Or maybe it means we need to go to somebody else who's hurting and say, can I just be your friend? Not pry and be obnoxious, but give some light. So people have a safe place where they can talk to us and they know they won't be judged and they know they're not going to be put down because remember how we started our service talking about world communion? For God so loved who? The world. That means everyone. That means the people I don't like. That's my question for Jesus. Jesus, I get why you like the people I like, but why did you like the people I didn't like? Isn't that all of our questions? That's hard. That's hard. God calls us to love, not to judge. Amen. There is a saying that I like. I could have called my message this. You are as sick as your secrets. You are as sick as your secrets. That's ultimately what I think Jesus is doing here. He's bringing stuff to the light of day. And nowhere was this more obvious to me then about 20 years ago, when I was in a clergy group, as the best clergy group I thought I'd ever been involved with. We met in Whitensville and Northbridge and Uxbridge, Sutton, all these different places would rotate to different churches every week. We had a Catholic priest, Pentecostal minister, Christian Reformed, Methodist, Baptist, Nazarene. We all met together. And we all became friends. And we decided to do a book called The Safest Place on Earth. And the purpose of the book was to help all of us come to terms with the fact that the church should be the safest place on earth for people to talk about what's really going on in their life. Amazing book. I still have it. Love it. But you know what's interesting? As we talked and as we gathered, we were inviting one another to share anything that we needed to talk about. We said, let's begin here. Let's make this the safest place. And I took it seriously, and I started talking about some vulnerable things in my life, and I felt really good because people prayed for me. And a few of the other pastors did the same. But in that group, there were three pastors who all lost their ministry. Two of them were having affairs, and they didn't tell us. They kept it quiet. Until it blew up and they were out of the ministry. The Catholic priest is one of the defrocked Catholic priests in Massachusetts. I got to know and love each of them. And all of a sudden, one day, they disappeared. Because we talked about being the safest place. We talked about bringing things to light. But somehow people couldn't do it. You see, Satan seeks to destroy our lives, to take us down, to destroy ministries, to destroy pastors, to rip apart families, to take down individuals, to do anything he can to make this world an awful bad place. And when we think, oh, that's all he's trying to do, we see 2,000 pigs get killed, and we go, his real purpose is to really kill us. But that's not the Savior that we serve. But there's a power greater than that. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world is what the Bible tells us. And so today, if you know someone who's suffering, if you know someone who's having a hard time, or if you are yourself, I'm going to invite you to do the vulnerable thing. And during our last song, come forward for prayer. It's okay. A few months ago, I shared stuff in my life of where I had to learn to be honest about my need for recovery, and I've been over 20 years sober because of the fact that I finally was able to say, I need help, and I need to bring stuff to the light of day. But many, many people, either themselves or know someone else who's got something that needs healing, it needs to be brought out. So as we close, you can come up at the end, come up and talk to me. Yep. So as we close, if you'd like prayer... I invite you to come forward. If there is a number who come up, I'm just going to ask members of the elder team and others to come up and pray with people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us learn that you want to bring light, that your desire is to change and transform this world and our lives. Help us learn to be vulnerable and honest about things we struggle with, or honest that there are others who struggle and realize that the thief comes to destroy and to kill, but you came that we might have life and have it abundantly. In Christ's name we pray.